o'clock on a Sunday night. I've, I've, I've spent the entire day painting and decorating his house. Oh my god. Great. So, no. Alright, well, I'll, I'll try not don't, to swear too much then. Don't say anything or get sued. Hello, okay. welcome to the Troopany Show. My name's James Troopany, and this is not the show I said you were going to have. <laughs> I said... Me and John would look at DDT's show from last weekend where Chris Brooks challenged for the KOD Championship against Takashita. And we both watched it, and then something came up at John's house, and John can't actually podcast today. Not without the sound of someone trying to renovate the house around him. Um, so, obviously, you know, jackhammers in the background, not best for podcasting. It's a reasonable excuse. It is. <laughs> And I, I can't do it. Marcus says I can do a John impression. I can't do a John impression. He's, he's from Durham, so it's slightly northeastern <laughs> Georgia, which I cannot do. It's, they have their own language up there anyway. Um, so <laughs> so uh, I couldn't even, like, fake it. However, I, I put out the bat signal, and who came back? But my blessed friend, Miss Chelsea Spawn, how are you? Uh, I'm for some reason I'm really enjoying that you just called it the bat signal. Um, why? <laughs> Probably because I'm obsessed with Robin still. Uh, I'm good. I'm chilling. I have I have had a moderate amount of caffeine and my ADHD medication. So um, yeah, it was a good day to it was a good day to do some podcasting. Yeah. No, we honestly haven't. We we kind of like well, let's just talk about wrestling. I think yeah. that's what we can do. Which is actually the last episode was entitled. James and Chelsea talk about wrestling because it's Monday. Yep. So this is James and Chelsea talk about wrestling because it's Monday 2. The yes. Revenge. Yes. Well, like <laughs> <Googaloo>. <laughs> um, yes. Um, actually, I will, I'll make it, this nothing to do with wrestling, but I'll make a, a request that all of you should now go watch Smokey and the Bandit 2, which may be the greatest sequel of all time that no enough people know about. Anywho, moving on <laughs> to wrestling. <laughs> moving on to wrestling. Moving on to wrestling. So what have you been watching, Chelsea? So I have watched almost every episode of Dynamite and Rampage since CM Punk came back. Um, And uh, I am not necessarily proud of that fact. But (laughs) um, I don't know. I have complicated feelings about CM Punk like most people do, I think. I recently, in the last five, six months or so, read the book by his former tag team partner when he was in that promotion in Chicago called the uh, LWF. Um, So his former tag team partner, who goes by the name CM Venom, um, uh, he wrote a book all about that. And um, if a lot of that stuff in that book is true, uh, it's a little distressing (laughs) as someone who... um, thought of themselves as a CM Punk fan. I mean, I'm not necessarily yeah. going to hold, hold stuff against the guy that he did when he was a, a dumb teenager because we were all jerks when we were teenagers. But yeah. um, he did allegedly steal $7,000 from the promotion that he worked for, never paid it back, and stole the ring from them and had to be threatened into giving it back, and then spent the money on running his own show uh, and later went on to become a giant star and a millionaire and supposedly has never paid any of it back. Um, yeah. So that was a little complicated, but when I found out that guy was coming back to wrestling, probably, I was like, well, maybe <laughs> that maybe that's worth 
maybe that's worth watching. I mean, it was in Chicago. It was called The First Dance. And, like, The Last Dance is that Netflix thing about Michael Jordan. And I was like, all right, I'm going to watch this, and I'm going to see how I feel about it. And... I actually felt pretty excited to see that guy back. It is it is nice to see that guy not looking so burnt out that he wants to die. <laughs> like, he just looks good. He looks healthy. It, I mean, me and Marcus covered the show. Well, no, it was, was it Marcus? Uh, John? There was no... John. Me and John covered the pay-per-view. Me and Marcus covered the AW... Uh, the, the, um, Rampage, that's the one there. Mm-hmm. Me and Marcus covered that. And I, I think the... Both of us said neither of us were punk fans mm-hmm. uh, in his heyday, but both of us know the importance of him as sure. an individual to wrestling fans. Right, all wrestling think, fans do. And I think that's that's the thing. I think yes, there is negativity with him, and they did call it to be not say it to be fair, but they when WWE did the documentary on punk, they did cover that period of his life, and he did talk about it fairly candidly. I can't remember exactly what he said, but well, it's not as. But it's still not as, it's still not good, is it? <laughs> so the thing that's complicated about the WWE documentary, if you read the LWF book, and I'm not going to tell people, like, uh, you should read the book if you're curious about that period yeah. in Punk's career. It's a good book regardless of how much your emotional investment is only in it because of that dude. Like, you will still enjoy reading about a bunch of kids who start a wrestling promotion. Um it's it's it, the guy who writes it, CM Venom. Um, I don't know what his real name is. Uh, he's a good writer. Um, he he painted a lot of it very vividly. Mm. Um, but the thing that he says in the book that's not in the WWE documentary, and to be fair, it's kind of impossible to know if Punk ever said any of this, and maybe WWE chose not to put it in the story, is that um, Punk's brother did steal money from yeah. the promotion. But he also paid back every cent that he stole. And that is why currently, in this moment in time in 2021, he is still friends with a lot of those guys. But since Punk found out about it, supposedly, according to CM Venom, this is not speculation on my part, this is in the book. According to CM Venom and several other people who were affiliated with the LWF and things that they've said on Twitter, once Punk found out that his brother did that, they never spoke again. He he completely cut him off and doesn't consider him family anymore. And I'm not going to get into whether or not I think that's like a thing he should have done because that's none of my business. Like it's his right yeah. to make a decision like that. And who knows what the heck else was going on there because we didn't live in his house. We weren't, you know, we weren't there. We don't know yeah. what that environment was like for him or for his brother. We don't know what their relationship was like. Um, But hearing that he said that on that enormous platform with WWE and then left out the part about his own alleged theft of $7,000 that Mm. basically ended the promotion. The promotion died. It was probably going to die anyway is the impression I get from the book, but it died when it did because he did that. Yeah. And it also, I don't, I don't know how it sits with me that, he didn't pay those guys back. You know, I, I was a bigger fan of his as a performer before I read that book. That said, I'm still enjoying the fact that he's back because it's nice to see somebody who was so burnt out on wrestling, which is, I think how a lot of us 
felt in the last couple of yeah. years, especially since speaking out. Um, it's nice to see him back. It's nice to see him enjoying himself. It's nice to see the younger guys get excited about working with him. Um, he put over Britt Baker real hard, that first mm. promo that he gave. I liked that. I enjoyed that. And um, apparently Britt said that meant a lot to her. I thought that was cool. She deserves that, by the way. She's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the fact that he's back. It's It's nice. You know what it is? It's nice to watch a wrestling show that has high production values the way that you really only can if you have, like, a, a lucrative television deal that doesn't hate you for watching it. Yes. I think that's the big issue. You know, I, I think the, um, I think the thing is that AEW is made by wrestling fans. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Think that's, I, I think that's the major difference. It's like, um, Dara and Dave run the, the wrestling rewind and they call it a wrestling podcast for wrestling fans who like wrestling. Because they are, they are adamant yeah. about being positive about wrestling. If they're not into WWE, they don't cover it. Because why should they cause you and them torture by making you listen to them moan for an hour? So they right. they review wrestling that they feel is cool and highlight the stuff that they enjoy. You know, and I think that's what AEW does with wrestling. They are they are making wrestling they want yeah. to make, and the wrestlers are enjoying themselves. And that yeah. is such a change to, uh. Like, <laughs> I would watch the new, the G1 Climax today and Tangaloa wrestles Ujiro Takahashi. And Ujiro loses a lot. And you know he's going to lose because of the look on his face. <laughs> and he looked thoroughly miserable yeah. most of the match he was in because he was losing today. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's his job. And I'm sure he understands his position in the company and his job to get the human guys over. And he's looked after Tangaloa for so long and he's a complete company man. He made Tetsuya NATO and took a step back because he knew NATO would be the star in the company, and he wouldn't. And that shows you an awful lot of noose of wrestling IQ and ensured that he had a job for life. Mm. However, I can tell when he's not happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, and, and it's like, and I've watched shows where quite clearly there are wrestlers who did not want to be there. But I never have that feeling with AEW from. Right. Whether I'm watching something on YouTube and, or if it's, you know, and it's a three hour slog of a bunch of matches with people you've never seen before, everyone looks happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's a big difference. You know, it, it feels like, um, a lot of the, my favorite promotions at their peaks, but it feels like it every week. Yeah. And that's, that's, and I'm not saying AEW's like the best thing ever either. I don't watch every show. I watch the stuff I want to watch. Right. You know, obviously. But I, I think it, when I watch it, it feels like wrestling used to be and it feels like wrestling. You know, I like the fans mm -hmm. always like clamor for the like, oh, the good old days in WCW and NWA and things like that. This feels like that. It's yeah. not the same thing. It can't be the same thing because you're not going to have Harley Race holding headlock for 20 minutes. Right. Um, but it's got that feel to it that's just right. And that's what I enjoy about watching it. It feels like when I first discovered WCW in 1990, when I first discovered uh, New Japan in the mid in the early 90s and really got into those promotions and like, lived and died by those promotions. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's just 
that that's what that's what kind of like makes me smile about that. You know, it's 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 just good wrestling and it's yeah. good storytelling. And you know, not all of the matches on their weekly shows are matches that I'm personally really excited about, but I very rarely watch a big match on that show where they've promoted a lot of, you know, where there's either like it's a title match that they were promoting in advance or it was I don't know, like a a storyline themed match, you know, where they're like this is part of this storyline. I rarely watch those matches and feel like, well, this was a complete waste of my time or this was intentionally trying to piss me off. You know, like, WWE is just an unfulfilled promise at this point. Like, every week you show up to find out if something you actually care about is going to actually happen. And usually the answer is, well, we know you like this performer, so we're going to give you this performer, but you're going to have to watch them get shat on in their hometown. Yeah. And it just, it just hurts sometimes. It, it, it hurts. <laughs> I'm Dave Biggs' fan. Um, WWE pointed out, like, they did a tweet about the top 10 homecomings that didn't go well. And Dave Bixenspan quoted it with, the, so here's to show how you don't know how to tell stories 10 times. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, and it, it, it's, and it's been that way since the 80s. Like in the 80s, the hometown guy always jobs every time. Don't yeah. know why. And then in the 90s, they kind of stopped that and went like, actually, if they win in their hometown, that would be a big draw. Ooh, mm. best do that. Hence, hence what, if, if SummerSlam 92 had happened in 88, David Boy Smith would have never been Intercontinental Champion. Right. You know, it might have caused a riot. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, Vince wanted to let that happen because nice, his hometown, can't win. It's like why, why, and then and the back to it again. Now it's like why, why do you need to go to these lengths to humiliate your stars? God, for no apparent reason. Like I just watched on Friday. I watched SmackDown and then I watched Rampage, which is a lot of wrestling to watch. So on SmackDown, Bianca, Sasha, and Becky were doing promotion for the Saudi Arabian pay per view that's coming up that I'm not going to watch, and they're going to have the <laughs> two women have a title match. And, yeah, I'm not going to watch a women's match that happens in a country where it's illegal to be gay. Like, that's not I'm not going to I'm not going to show up for that. Fuck that. Um, So um, Bianca and Sasha were having their rematch from SummerSlam that they didn't get to have. That was supposed to be like a WrestleMania rematch, which is like, why are you guys having a WrestleMania rematch in October? Um, I know that Sasha had had COVID, I think was the was the rumor i don't know if they've ever confirmed that but she wasn't able to compete at SummerSlam, and um so you know technically they owed us that match but also at this point my personal feeling would have been just move on like i don't really understand what the point is of having it now because you remember most of the things that happened on wrestlemania i mean i'm sure everybody remembers that match but like who cares at this point it's october so um so Sasha was in that match with Bianca, but the entire story of how that match was presented was focused on Bianca and Becky. And I have a serious problem with that. Like, I, it, it felt to me, honestly, um, I don't know, this is, this is purely speculation. I have no idea if this is true. Sasha posted some things on Instagram or liked some things on Instagram that implied that she might have been anti-vax. 
And mm-hmm. I know that her husband does a thing with Autism Speaks. He did a charity sneaker for them. And Autism Speaks is notoriously anti-vax. Or at least they used to be. I don't know if they still are. But I've, I've heard right. people changed. But they definitely used to spread anti-vax rhetoric for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Sasha got COVID and WWE was mad at her for not getting vaccinated, even though they haven't made it a requirement that you have to get vaccinated. And so they're punishing her. But they're punishing her while they're giving her a match. Like, they're punishing her while they're saying, hey, Sasha, go to Saudi Arabia, which is a significant, you know, distance to travel to have a match where I know those are restrictive laws there. That doesn't mean that the people there agree with them. But it's 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 complicated. It's complicated. It is. And it's like, why go? Right. Why go have the match there? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I can I can understand. It's probably bucket loads of money. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it undoubtedly well, bucket loads of money. Have problems getting paid. Yeah, they they literally held the whole roster to to ransom. They won't let leave the country at one point. Why go back? Yeah, you know, what? The, 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 it's like um, the Paridaka goes there, right? And it's and it's. It's buying sports to try and like rehabilitate your image, you know. And it's like the Dakar has been to some mentally seriously dangerous places on Earth. And one of the reasons why they can't run the Paris Dakar rally from Paris to Dakar anymore is because there's been a civil war going on around Dakar for the last ten years. So they moved to South America and Peru, and, and they actually preferred it in Peru and, and Peru and um, Colombia because the actual like. Desert there is really nice to drive. <laughs> Funnily enough, it's challenging and it's like good sports stuff, but Saudi Arabia wanted it, so they paid for it. And they yeah. ended up there. And it's like the whole women driving thing is fine now because um, the rulers of, of Saudi Arabia have decided it's fine. It's all about reform at their pace. You know, yeah. And I mean, you know, that. as of June, June, women can live alone in Saudi Arabia legally without being, without getting permission from a guardian or without like living in a property that belongs to their guardian. Yeah. And and, and before we even get to the other hideous human rights violations that that country perpetrates on a daily basis. (sighs) Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. And, um, Saudi Arabia, like you said, Saudi Arabia, um, uh, this isn't, this isn't being held by the Saudi Arabian people. This is being held by the Saudi Arabian government. And I, I apologize the way that I phrased that before when I was talking about the men getting mad. I should, I should be clear that the thing I have a problem with here is the Saudi Arabian government. I don't have a problem with Saudi Arabian people. I don't, it's not fair for me to generalize the behavior of all of the people based on the things that their government does. Their government does some pretty fucking awful things, including um, treating women like children in a lot of ways and also um, uh, making it illegal to be gay or transgender and making it legal to torture people for being gay or transgender. That's not okay with me. Um if the women are allowed to perform there, my understanding, or I mean, they will be allowed to perform there, I guess, because I don't think they'd be promoting the match if it wasn't actually going to happen. Yeah. But I know that um, that there were two women's matches before. 
And I did see a couple of the highlights from the Bailey Naomi match, mostly just because I care about Naomi and I care about Bailey. And it did look like it felt rushed. It felt like they were, it felt like they knew how many pairs of eyes were on them the entire time. It didn't feel like good organic wrestling to me. It felt like, Mm. oh shit, we better not fuck this up, which is not a great vibe for what's supposed to be a historic match, supposed to be the first like women's championship match in Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think WWE has any business doing shows there. I don't want to, I don't, I feel bad speaking out of turn about the human rights violation stuff. And again, I feel bad about the way I phrased that before. I just, I, I worry that those women are going over there to put on this performance for audiences that, may not even really appreciate it and it's so far to travel and previously the roster was like held hostage literally and wwe got sued by their own investors because the saudi arabian government didn't pay them on the right timeline like their own investors were like you presented this in a fraudulent way to us because you guys didn't get paid which makes your company less valuable Um, and no, I mean, there is also the backlash against it, which I doubt is going to majorly affect WWE. If AEW tried to do something, it would be a massive backlash because their audience is different. And also, they they couldn't ride out that storm, whereas WWE can. You know, and I think, I think that's it's, it's something Punk said in, in the Python promo. And 10 years later, it's still relevant. Vince will continue to make money no matter what he does and how useless he is. Yep. Um, and it, it is true to an extent that I don't think WWE has the same potential it used to have to make money in the sense of it's got all the key markets I think it's ever going to get. And yeah. I don't think there's anywhere else for it to go because they, the, every time they try and push that a little bit further, they buy off more than they can chew. You know, all Japan's... Oh. Supposed, all J- sorry, Karen. I'm sorry, I cut you off. As I say, all Japan's supposed to have been the WWE NXT Japan for so long. They've closed down NXT India. You know, uh, Nick Khan's come in and has basically stopped spending money. Um, it's, um, it's just, uh, it doesn't seem to me like they are interested in <sighs> consolidating the audience they have, never mind expanding it, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And I also think that one of the problems that they have that they're not going to necessarily like admit to having is that um, Vince is old and doesn't use the Internet and doesn't like young people very much. It's kind of clear. Right. <laughs> um, how is Vince going to make a cool, hip, awesome product for a culture that he has never been a part of and doesn't understand? No. Especially, especially considering that Vince is, you know, I mean, this isn't controversial. He's incredibly racist, right? Like, we know that. We know he's racist because his product is racist. Like, if Vince tried to make a, um, a serious attempt at like having a weekly WWE show in China, right? They would probably have Chinese wrestlers on the show every week, but I guarantee you they would find some way to present it so that the white guys on the show always looked cooler and stronger. And, you know, maybe you'd have one Chinese wrestler who had a championship and that would be a focal point for like six months. 
And I also guarantee you that he would do exactly what he did when they were trying to smart, um, push into India, where they put Jinder Mahal in there with the title, and no one really cared about that guy. They would pick a guy nobody cared about instead of finding somebody who was qualified for that role yeah. who would have done a really great job. Instead, they picked a guy who clearly did not really know what he was doing. And yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it wasn't successful. It's like you can't just put a warm body in the title, Vince. Why would you no. think that would work? It like every I, I have a couple of um of Indian American and um British Indian friends who were watching that storyline with you know, like clawing their faces because it was so bad. Like mm. no one who was supposed to feel Super, not no one. I can't, I can't generalize for everybody, but a lot of people who were supposed to feel connected to that storyline, who were supposed to feel like, oh, I'm seeing myself represented, felt insulted. That's what would happen if Vince tried to make a product that was a weekly product in another culture. And I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting mad because we're talking about WWE. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's better, it's better to vent. It's, you can't keep this stuff in. You know, well, I mean, that's like, what we have Twitter for, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but it's like Alan Cheapshot. Um, if you follow, you should follow him on Twitter because I he's, do. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's not you. I was talking about the audience in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has he has that that thread of um, McMahon stories that he's picked up down the years, and it's ages and ages long, and it's full of all the crazy Vince stuff. Mm-hmm. And you realize when you read it that anyone who is this unhinged. Cannot possibly, there, there is like, like every genius I've ever come across has been flawed in some way. Sure. And I, and I will admit that Vince in the 80s and the 90s was a genius wrestling promoter. However, there is a limit to what that will take you because it, because it, it, he, he just can't, he can't help himself. And it's, it's not like we're saying he's overtly racist, like he's in the clan or anything. A lot of this is just absolutely no understanding of the culture that he's trying to do or feels that he has to push something over something else because of the culture that he's from. I mean, like the the, the Irish obsession was, was another one. One of the first pieces I read from when I was at Total Wrestling magazine, uh, I can't remember the name of the writer, but he was an Irishman. And Vince was obsessed with for years of having an Irish heavyweight champion. Mm. and never found the right person. And the person he found in the end was Finn Balor, but it didn't work. And you can see by the, what's happened to Finn Balor since. <laughs> well, right. Why, yeah, you know. And that was fucking like, how I felt watching Sasha wrestle that match against Bianca with Becky on commentary, where Sasha didn't get to give any promos. She wasn't... I didn't see any segments with her. It's possible at one point I was out of the room because there was a commercial on. I think I came back in time to see the show start back up again. And so if I did really see the entire show, she didn't even get to speak. And she's good on a microphone. I don't care. Wrestling smarts, don't get in my Twitter mentions about this. I'm not going to negotiate with you. Sasha Banks is good at promos, okay? Um, yeah. And her voice was not present in that match at all. And she is a strong enough wrestler that I still felt her point of view in that match. But I can also tell when Sasha is having a night where she knows that she's just going to go out there and do the job that she's paid to do and not isn't excited about it. And she wasn't excited about it. She knows she's just there essentially. Like I said on Twitter at one point, 
before she got some serious offense into the match, I was like, is she just jobbing tonight? Is that what's happening? It feels like she's being punished. Like, whenever Vince decides that he's done with somebody, he keeps them on television, or not every time, but a lot of times, he keeps them on television and beats them up. Yeah. I mean, like, Sasha won the match, and I still feel that way. And, and it's, also, it's also another thing he pulls for no apparent reason. <laughs> like, the, the the main events with Ronda Rousey and Becky and Charlotte Flair. Why? Why does Charlotte Flair need to be in that match? She looked like a bit part player in the match. She had no business being in that WrestleMania main event. But she's there. And she and it just it interrupted the story, it interrupted the flow, it made no sense. But it's the biggest women's match of all time and I'm gonna do my level best to screw it up. And it's like but it, it, you're right in the sense of it it becomes even worse when someone's a bit part player in a match that that really they don't need to be in and they could be off doing something far more interesting and making money instead. I mean Sasha Banks should never be a bit player. She was important enough. Not never, because everybody everybody has moments where they're not going to be the top person, right? I don't need yeah. – I, I love Sasha Banks' work. I'm not a fan of the fact that she might be an anti-vaxxer, but other than that, I have no complaints. She's pretty great. And uh, she should not be in that position where one month she's important enough to main event WrestleMania, and the next minute she's going to go have a match in Saudi Arabia – but it's incredibly likely that she's not going to win. We already know that based on the story. She doesn't feel like an equal participant in the match, even though she just won the match leading up to it to promote it. Like, it's just stupid. It's like, what is the point of this? And, you know, I have a lot of complaints about AEW and the way they book their women's division. I feel like the storylines for the women are lazy and not well considered. They don't get enough time. There are too many dark matches that happen on YouTube that should happen on television. But I also don't feel like the women feel like, oh, my God, I hate my job, but I have to do this for a paycheck. Yeah. I never feel that way when I watch that show. And even even when there are women wrestlers who seem like they don't entirely 100% know what they're doing in the ring yet because they do have a couple girls who are on the green side, um, although a lot of them at least have, you know, serious potential. But, like, I never feel like those women are just going out there and getting paid so that they can keep their mortgages up on their fancy houses. Like, they always look like they want to be there. And, and they're right. Yeah, sorry, Karen, I'll, I'll not interrupt. Keep going. No, just, I, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm ranting. But, like, it, it's just, it's nice. It's nice. Ruby and Britt had that big match a couple weeks ago. And the match wasn't perfect. I've seen better matches from both of them. I think they were probably both a little bit nervous because they tried some higher risk stuff in that match. And also, I think Britt needs a little more time to develop as a television wrestler. Um, I still yeah. think she's she's a fabulous promo at this point. She's got charisma. She's gorgeous. She's totally got the look. Um, she knows what she's doing. She can wrestle somebody and not break their neck. But there's just like there's a little something missing there. She's going to get there. I know she's going to get there. But I still, I, you know, that match wasn't on the technical level of Sasha and Bianca. But I didn't feel nauseous watching it. <laughs> well, this is, this is it. I mean, I watched the NWA Empower show, the Mickey James, Gail Kim produced show, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And there was a couple of AEW tag teams. There was Red Velvet and Kerry Lynn King, King mm-hmm. um, on there. And somebody else as well. I can't remember the name of. Um, but 
they were going up against the NWA teams that were not as experienced and their their top level of local indie, if that makes sense. They're the the top of the bottom. (laughs) They're the ones who are most likely to get signed to NXT in the next six months. Yeah, whereas, you know, the AW wrestlers are seasoned TV wrestlers. Even if they've just been working dark, they've been, like, you know, They've had their matches produced. They've had their matches worked on. They've talked to Dean Malenko and Jerry Lynn. They've kind of said, right, you need to do this to make these better. And everything right. was crisper. And they looked professional and crisp. And they put in matches and they put in the work. Not that the NWA ladies look sloppy. They didn't. They were right. all competent professional wrestlers. But the right. jump, <laughs> when you're watching one tag team yeah. who can't find the hard cam to save their lives and... You know, what you expect of a TV wrestler. Right. They're just not Versus there Versus, like, Allison Kay and Marty Bell, who both yeah. been on TV for, like, a decade at this point and know yeah. exactly what they're doing. Yeah, you know, they, they are the NWA team, but they are the best NWA team by a long way, mm-hmm. you know. And you, you watch the difference between them, and then you watch, you know, the NWA girls, and it's like, they're good. They're really, you know, I see a, a few, except for a couple of them who were dreadful, but you can see a future with them and what's going to happen. Yep. And it is like you don't realize how good the AWA, AEW women are because you're compared, most, they mostly get compared to the WWE women. But it's like Charlotte, Becky, Sasha, Bailey, Alexa, Bliss, all of these, Naomi, all of these people are between seven and ten years on national television now. Mm-hmm. Then even the least talented woman on the WWE roster is never going to be that bad. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it, 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 just by, just by sheer repetition. If they do it week in, week out, they will eventually get competent. You know? I mean, Mox kind of said it. He wasn't talking about the women specifically, although uh, he didn't qualify this as just belonging to, a, you know, the men, but he was like, WWE wrestlers are the Navy SEALs of entertainment. Like, you have to learn how to read a script and, um, 30 minutes later deliver those lines on television. And if you don't do it properly, you're going to get punished. And, um, have a match according to what you think is going to look good, what the audience thinks is going to look good, and also what your bosses are going to like. And that is really incredibly freaking hard. And if you can do that at all, you will be fine in almost any other form of entertainment. And I mean, look at that guy. Look at the stuff that he's done in AEW and since then. I mean, some of the stuff he's doing now with like Nick Gage, where he's, um, you know, building up to this like, being a deathmatch king again and he did stuff in new japan like that guy is just like not even questioning his ability to go for Uh it he's just freaking going for it and that's not to say that everything that guy does is something that i love or think is successful but i mean i totally understand how like whatever whatever potential for doubt there is gets burned out of you if you do monday night raw for 10 years like you just can't question your own your own uh i don't even know what to call it like you can't ever go back to having that naivete to you after you've put up with all of those incredibly insane circumstances I mean, yeah, I mean, Matt Cardona is the other example of that at the moment on mm-hmm. a slightly, le- in some ways on a slightly less level, but in other ways on a much bigger scale because he was essentially 
up a mid-card at WWE for 10 years, and he spent the last 18 months on Impact being incredibly boring. And then GCW yep. gave him, here's an opportunity for you to have a go at this. We'd like you to beat Nick Gage. Okay. And he ran with the ball. And he didn't have much yep. time to do it. And now he's running the ball with Effie because they've figured out how to do a feud with Effie and get Effie over even more. And it's like, yeah. he wasn't an indie wrestler. He never had serious, serious time on the indies. And he managed to take all of those skills he learned in WWE and apply them to being an indie wrestler. And he looks like a superstar all over again. He Still does. boring as fucking he... WWE in wrestling, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He looks like a bigger star now than he ever did in WWE. Yeah, even though it's on a smaller scale, but that's sometimes you have to find your level, you know. It's, yeah. it, it, it's there are, you know, there are people who should never leave Japan because it's their level. It's just right. Like, you know, um, a lot of guys just were happy to make a living doing the international tours and things like that where they could make a decent living. Well, why, why go somewhere else and risk it when you're actually making a decent living and paying the mortgage? And, you know, there's, there's so many factors into being a professional wrestler that we don't see as fans. Yeah. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, um, Dean Ormark is a classic example. British wrestler who's really only become an international star in the last three or four years. He wrestled in Japan for small promotions and stuff. But he wrestled, he wrestled, he's, he's the son-in-law of the owner of All Star Promotions, the biggest wrestling company in the UK. Right. And he wrestled holiday camps and town halls for the last 20 years. Paid the mortgage, got the kids into school, did all the things he needed to do to be a good husband and dad and mm-hmm. had blistering matches every night in front of two or three thousand people, but no one knew who he was. Knew he was. And now he's starting to get shots at RPW. You know, and, you know, he's at the end of his career, but everyone's going, oh, you're really good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, he's always has been really good, but he, there's nothing wrong with what he did. He made a living, and he's a star in yeah. his world. And I don't see there's any difference than that than headlining WrestleMania if that's your goal. If your goal is to be a professional wrestler, make mm. a living, and makes a decent living, then... Right. Really, that's what point is, isn't it? It's supposed to make a living. It's professional wrestling. Which, you know, it's really but, funny because, like, we've all, since the Roads to the Top premiere last week and then the second episode this week, we're all... Um, It's funny that you're mentioning somebody finding their level because I was just thinking about this the other day because of the Roads to the Top episodes that have aired so far. Um, I only mm. watched part of the first one, and I, I did watch the whole second one. And, uh, that show is clearly produced by people who've never produced reality television before. Um, but also, (laughs) but also, my God, I just, I, has Cody Rhodes ever said if he's gone to therapy? (laughs) Say that again? Has Cody Rhodes ever said if he's gone to therapy? Because, like, my God, the chip on that guy's shoulder is like a mile wide. And yeah. I don't think he knows it, and I don't think he knows that we know. I think he does. Mm, I'm okay. wondering if he does. Because it is like, I watched um, him wrestle Malachi Black at um, in Arthur Ashe. Yep. And the fans hate him mm. in New York, because Malachi Black would get over in an empty room. 
yeah. anywhere. I have seen Malachi Black, Tommy End. I have seen people screen themselves horse shouting Tommy, Tommy, Tommy fucking End over yeah. and over for an entire match because he's that good. Yep. Um, and it's, uh, I think the, 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 the issue is they're kind of like presenting him as a tweener, which I think isn't, isn't unfair. I saw him describe it as the Cody verse. There seems to be AEW on whatever Cody's doing. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, it's like, and I think he understands that he isn't Kenny and he isn't the books. He has to be something different. But they're kind of taking him out of what's going on in AEW and everything kind of revolves around him for five minutes. And I think the others are happy with that because everybody gets their time then, don't they? And it's, it's kind of a very socialist way to run a wrestling promotion, I suppose. But equally, I think he understands that he's not everyone's cup of tea and he has an agenda. And I think that's the other thing as well is I think the, the character we saw in Bullet Club in New Japan was actually probably closer to Cody's attitude to life now, if that makes sense, the, like, the mm-hmm. duplicity of it. I don't think, I think Cody wants to make AEW a success and be a good boss of the company along with Kenny and, and the books and Brandy and, and make it a success and, you know, all those things. I haven't seen the Rose to the Top show, but I can understand why he seems to need to have that show, whereas the Bucks and Omega don't. <laughs> I mean, it maybe it's just yeah. good. It's good. Well, so I mean, I the Bucks have being the elite. They already have their own show. Yeah. And they're such good friends with Kenny that if Kenny wants to do something on that show, he's on that show. Yeah, I think as well, I think that's possibly it. I think Cody's kind of looking for his own thing in that kind of outlet. But it is just like... I don't know. I think Cody, I think Cody understands that he's not everyone's cup of tea and he's willing to play with that, um, to make, make sense. Uh, someone pointed out that his, uh, his outfit wasn't Captain America. It was Homelander. I know, and yeah. like Cody, yeah, Cody came out with, oh yes, I think that's probably a fair comparison. I'm like, but Homelander's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Homelander's a psychopath. You know, it's like, why would you, you you just knowingly not, it's up to the fans to make the decisions for themselves. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, because I, I haven't watched the boys' um, live action series. I'm a fan of the comics. and In the comics, Homelander is horrific. So, you know, it's like, it's like, because in the comics, they can be absolutely graphic as they want. And like, the good guys aren't that good. <laughs> James, I just, I love that your, your brain went straight past the part of like, art is subjective too, but Homelander is terrible. Like, that was the place you went through. I think that's great. Um, it is. It is. I mean, art is subjective, but it is, it is like, that. what? No, no, you do not start But that is objectively bad art and we will not stand for it. Yeah, it's like that. I mean, Homelander as a character is just an awful, awful, awful human being. He, he will murder people for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah. But it is just like, yeah, it is. Uh, I think Cody has, is a complicated character. And I, yeah. <laughs> to put it with, mildly. But with some, with some base understanding. I think I, hmm. This is going to be a big statement, but I think Dustin Runnels has taken being Dusty Rhodes' son a little better in his career, even though, if I, I'll go as far as to say, I think 
the fact that Dustin and Dusty had a massive fallout when he went to WWE after he married mm-hmm. um, uh, his first wife. Yeah, I read. I read his book. I actually probably saved his relationship with Dusty in the long run, <laughs> if that makes sense. And yeah. though Dusty and Dusty and Cody got along throughout their lives, there's a lot of stuff you have to resolve when you lose your dad. And he has to do it in a very, as I've lost my dad this year, and there's a ton of stuff I have to resolve. Um, and he has to do that in public. And far too often, I think he does it out loud when he perhaps shouldn't. So my take is not even just that he does it out loud and he shouldn't, because I'm not going to deny him that space to process considering yeah. how much his dad's life was public. But my thing is this, right? Have you ever seen that, that Twitter thread that everybody likes to post screen caps of where somebody replied to a tweet and called Cody a mid Carter and, and put his handle in the tweet so that he got the tweet, right? And Cody yeah. replied and was like, but you follow me, friend. And the guy's like, I know because you're my favorite mid-carder. Like, there's a couple of things to me about that. Like, one of, one of them is that Cody assumes that if somebody follows him on Twitter, that means that they think that he's a top star. Maybe he yeah. doesn't assume that anymore. But at the time, he did. He was like, you follow me, friend. Like, I'm confused why he would think I was a mid-carder. And also, he thinks being a mid-carder is an insult. Yes. And it's like, dude, you can't, you know, I know your dad was like one of the biggest stars wrestling's ever had, right? Because people who didn't know who Dusty Rhodes was sent me text Dusty Rhodes when Dusty Rhodes died. And we're like, yeah. did you hear that that guy died? And I was like, yes. I, how do you know who he is? Like, you know, he was, he was a star in an era that was, you know, that is well, like, crystallized in everybody's minds as being, like, there was a lot of great work that was being done there, and Dusty was a part of it. And that's a huge shadow to walk in. I think you're absolutely right that Dustin seems better adjusted about it, because um, uh, he seems perfectly content to be doing the things that he is doing. And if he's not content to do something, he just does something else. Whereas I feel like Cody... Cody is never going to be satisfied with himself personally or professionally unless he gets to that level. And he wants to get to that level so bad that I think it hinders his ability to get to that level. I also, frankly, I just don't think he has it in him to get to that level. I don't think he's emotionally intelligent enough. I don't think he is, I don't think he has that, thing that makes you look at a wrestler in the ring and go, my God, I can't take my eyes off them. And I mean, most people don't. Most people don't. But if you don't have that, you have to have something else, right? Yeah. You know, I like, think... I mean, this is, this is a weird, I'm sorry, one one thing, I just, like, this is a weird example, but um, I think of Dan Housen as being a guy on the indies who figured out how to make up for the things that he lacked. He didn't have for a while, he was trying to market himself as, like, a typical, like, I'm a handsome baby face, but I have tattoos and I like goth things. And nobody cared. And then he came up with the Dan Housen character, which is an interesting character, and allowed him to play sort of, like, this, like, vaudevillian, almost, like, demon-type persona that really seems to take remarkable little effort for him to be able to figure out what that character is supposed to say and do. 
And it completely made up for any weaknesses that he had on mic in terms of his ring work where, you know, the places where he like was a mm. little wooden, like he figured out how to compensate for the fact that he wasn't one of those guys where you just had to watch him. And consequently, he's one of those guys on the indies now that you have to watch him. When he does stuff, my whole timeline is talking about it. Yeah. That's it. He, he had a match on uh, GCW card the other week. And yep. all he did was just kick people. And the whole, like, Twitter timeline went crazy for it. In the yeah. same way that, you know, it, it, it's just... It, 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 he's, but that's, I think that's the thing with Cody is... It's never easy. It's never simple. You know, there has got to be a complicated issue. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the that's the yeah. the thing that he's missing is the. Um, I think you're right. It's the emotional depth. Like, there's nothing wrong with what Cody's ring work. I think his ring work's perfectly acceptable and is kind of main event standard. And I think that. He does create a stir, um, as, it, as Cody Rhodes. You know, I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on there that is positive, but there's never a final piece in the puzzle. I think he was right to take himself out of the world title picture in AEW. Yep. Because that was the right call. That was the right call because it was the knock on his dad was, well, you're always running for the world championship, aren't you? You know, and that he did learn that lesson from his father. And he isn't going in for championships every five minutes. And he understands that his character has got a reasonable enough draw to tell a story by itself. And he's done the right things. Like a guy like QT Marshall, who was an exceptional in-ring worker, yep. who was never going to get a chance in any company anywhere, really, because he hasn't got the um, panache or style or draw uh, or to to really do it. But as a leader of a faction within a company... He's ideal for that role, and Cody found a role for him and had a really good feud with him and got somebody yep. over. And Cody's not afraid to jump for people. He's got all the tools, but there is that je ne sais quoi that is not there. That little bit that makes you look like a star. You know, there's, he there's... needs to stop being mad at the audience that we're not sold on him in that role. Yeah, you know, it's perfectly fine to be the things you are good at. So be good at them. You know, the reason why Bullet Club Elite era got over was because Kenny was a superlative worker and the books were the best tag team in the world and Cody was an obnoxious brat and everyone hated him for it. So well, the Bullet that. Club was already over before Cody joined Bullet Club. Like, yeah. Cody wasn't part of that success and I know he knows it and it seems to me he gives off a vibe like he's resentful about it. Hmm. Even though it has nothing to do with him. Yeah. It's well, hmm. there's also you could also argue that Bullet Club's downhill slide started when he became leader of Bullet Club. <laughs> yep. Oh no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it didn't really pick up again until JY took over. So, you know, and that's that that would that would probably hurt more than anything that this. 24-year-old rookie came in and, like, stole the show, <laughs> like, a month after you oh. were gone. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, so, well, he was 26, but, you know, and, but again, that's that's the thing, isn't it? He's, Cody wasn't built to be a main event, New Japan main event, straight up and down. As much as he could have great matches there, he, he he's not that kind of wrestler. Yeah. You know, he they used him the way that New Japan should have used him, and they got the most out of him whilst he was there. But 
yeah, it's uh, Cody's an interesting kind of portrait to look at as a wrestling star in comparison to say Kenny Omega, who seems to be relatively effortless. Though I think there are issues with with Kenny sometimes as well. Um, sure. And I, I, I think you know, not there's anything wrong with Kenny as a wrestler; he's superb. But I think, I think Kenny tries too hard to be a heel. I think he's a natural babyface and he shouldn't. Mm. I think I think it irks him that he isn't a heel at times. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it can make him hard work to watch when he's being a heel. <laughs> yeah, when he's trying too hard, you feel like he's so he's so expressive that when he's trying too hard and feels the pressure of it, you feel that pressure watching him. Yeah. You know, I mean all right, Cornette calls it jazz hands. But you see mm-hmm. more of that when, you know, there's just something connects wrong sometimes. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like, you know, you see more of that when he's, like, you know, trying overtly to be a heel instead of just being a jackass that he needs to be. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's, you especially, I mean, I think he had it under control when he was the cleaner in New Japan and climbing up the ranks because there wasn't yeah. the pressure on him then. Whereas now right. he has to carry the weight of the company on his shoulders, and I think there's more pressure to that. Having said that, he's got an awful lot of good like, guys to work with to set the pressure off now, hasn't he? He does. I also, I, I will also say, I think um, possibly just as damaging for Kenny was the whole chase and rants thing, as a lot of us never oh, yeah. for that, myself included. I no. went from being the most excited about that guy to never wanting to see his face. And that hasn't entirely changed for me. He is now someone I tolerate rather than someone I get excited about. Um, Because why are you booking a guy who's a registered sex offender who abused a minor on your show, dude? Like, there's no excuse for that. And you freaking know that. Or you wouldn't have had to apologize three separate times. Uh, um, You know, that said, he had he had a spectacular match with Daniel Bryan. God, I've watched that match three times. I never watched <laughs> that matches three times. I watched it three times because it was so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing as well is the Brian thing is the, the the other bit we haven't really talked about. It. It's the elephant in the room, isn't it? Yeah. It's to say. I mean, I think signing Punk was a game changer in the sense of you brought back an audience of wrestling that had kind of given up on wrestling because Punk wasn't there. But signing Brian Danielson, or more importantly, signing Daniel Bryan, is the first super, super, superstar jump. And, I, and I'm not disrespecting Punk, because I think Punk would say this. Punk isn't the superstar that Brian was in WWE. He didn't have the penetration that Brian did for so long as WWE champion. And though Punk is... I think this is the thing, is Punk's always going to be, um, yeah, I know it's that West Wing to comparison. Punk's going to be Neil Young, but Brian's going to be Neil Diamond. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because mm. Neil Diamond sold an awful lot of records. <laughs> sure. You know, and he was very good at what he did. <laughs> so sure. I think, I think that's the, I think that's the, the thing. Punk's authentic, whereas Danielson is, Authentic plus exceptional plus charismatic plus azure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, as far as total packages in professional wrestling is concerned, in this day and age, Brian Danielson is the be all and end all 
of yeah in men's in men's wrestling he's the most yeah. complete total package that exists in the, in North America for sure yeah you know this is this is the thing is like and I think that's that's the game changer for AEW you know and you've seen their ratings increase week to week and their pay per view buy rates get better you know and it and it, it that's a rub that helps everyone Impact Wrestling had its biggest pay per view buy rates when Kenny Omega was champion and they've not gone down. You know, and so they, he helped bring an audience to Impact and they stayed there because they found something they liked. Yeah. Um, there's, plenty, there's plenty of things in Impact to dislike, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, right. you know, they are changing the industry, but they're changing the whole industry. Mm. You know, and it's, um, it's intriguing to me how it's affecting the way things are going. Even Ring of Honor have been affected by it, even though they aren't really affected by it. Hmm. How so? Well, up until the last pay-per-view, every champion Ring of Honor was either African-American or Latino. Okay. And the majority of their factions and main roster were African-American. They have gone out and purposely found wrestlers that they can use that have star quality that have something about them to try and rebuild their roster because they had that mass AEW exodus and had to start I over. see what you're saying. So, you know, Ring of Honor, it's, it's essentially what happened in WWE on a smaller scale in the Attitude Era. When, when everyone went to sign for WCW, they had to bring up Mick Foley and Austin and The Undertaker and, and uh, The Rock because they didn't have anyone else. Ring right. of Honor have given Shane Taylor and uh, Jonathan Gresham and uh, Josh Brooks and Roxy and all of these new stars a place to shine and said, here's the ball, go run with it. Yeah. And they've worked out. And it, they're kind of, we've, me and Marcus have talked about this a lot. As you can imagine, Marcus is very happy with this. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a wrestling company that looks like me. Um, yeah, so he's very happy with it and he loves the way Ring of Honor works and the, and the presence as a company. But I think yeah. it's, it's intriguing to me in the sense of that doesn't happen unless Chris Daniels, Kazarian, uh, Carl Cabana, the books, uh, Kenny Omega to an extent, but he wasn't really a Ring of Honor wrestler, he was kind of on loan, and Cody Rhodes all disappear off to form their own company. All those opportunities. Oh, and, and, you know, the massive, uh, cluster that was the Marty Skull Runners Booker, which all ended in disaster, uh, with, you know, um, Bully Ray and all of that stuff when they all got far too big for the boots for about 18 months and then realized, hey, we've got to rebuild this company and do it right this time. Mm. Those opportunities wouldn't be there if it wasn't for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's sense. like, you know, it, and, you know, and, and to be fair, they're really kind of, they're not feeling, how can I put this? Lee Moriarty was kind of a Ring of Honor wrestler. He wasn't signed, but he was appearing on for them week to week. Mm-hmm. And they gave him a really great send-off to AEW when he went and signed for them. You know, yeah. they, 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 it was match on pay-per-view, and um, Jay Lethal, the face of the company, comes over and congratulates him on getting a contract with a different company. You know, it's really great. Go do the thing that Ring of Honor showed Go show them what Ring of Honor wrestling is about in AEW for us. You know, it's like... change there? Like, in the in the executive level? Because it feels like the tone of their product... I've only watched, like, two episodes during the whole pandemic time, and I've watched a couple of the women's matches on YouTube. But, um... Well, not the pandemic, like, 
not the pandemic. I mean, like the last two, three years, I guess. But like, did something at the executive level change in Ring of Honor? Because they went from like the toxic masculine white guy promotion to like having Maria run their women's division and actually like using all of these awesome black male wrestlers. I think, as far as I know, Bully Ray was booking. It all really kind of happened at the end of that New Japan show at Madison Square Garden a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, 2019. Mm-hmm. So Bully, Bully Ray was booking with Delirious um, as co I think. Well, Delirious may have taken a back seat at that point, as he often does. Bully Ray was booking. It was a disaster from top to bottom. The yeah, New it was Japan, horrible. Um, the New Japan side of the show was exceptional. The Ring of Honor side of the show was painful to watch. Um, I watched, me and Chris watched that not long ago and we was like, God, the Ring of Honor stuff goes on forever and it's really bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, um, Marty Skull took over the book not long after that and obviously. And then they, he got fired. And then he got fired. Um, that after a proper investigation that was publicly, um, talked about by the company. Imagine that. Because Gosh, even, even though, um, Sinclair is a right wing hellhole that probably did as much as anybody to get Donald Trump elected president of the United States of America, they actually have a HR system that works properly. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, and then I think Delirious took over the book and again, and I think he's kind of been given power to kind of run it as he wants it. Maria Canellis has been given the book on the women's division and she's been given the power to run it how she wants it. They've got a budget, they've found the wrestlers, they're putting on a good show. I don't even, so like, I don't even watch that product, but just knowing that they put Maria in charge of their women's division makes me feel so warmly toward it because like, Maria is so smart. She's so passionate. She is absolutely one of those women who was, like, part of the divas era, quote-unquote, who got the short stick of, like, you're just going to be a hot babe who shakes your ass around. And she's like, okay, well, if I'm going to be a hot babe who shakes my ass around, I'm going to make sure that that's, like, a cool position that I get to be proud of. Right? Mm. And, like, she did that for so much of her career where she was like, this is the thing I'm getting paid to do. I'm doing it. I'm doing it really well. And I'm not ashamed of it, even if you're going to give me shit for it. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. And she's just she's just so classy. Like, I, I love following her on Twitter because it's 50 percent selfies in which she looks gorgeous and 50 <laughs> percent her telling smarts. Listen, I don't care if you don't appreciate me. We have an amazing women's division. Look at these badass ladies who I got to work for us. They're so great. You should you should care. You know, like it's just it's she's so refreshing. I just find her honesty refreshing. I find her experience refreshing. Yeah. It could not could not be more of an upgrade from freaking Bully Ray putting his girlfriend who is not very good at wrestling or promos or really anything um, in a, in a prominent position. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, it's like um, you you've still got whatever Angelis. I can't remember the name of the faction that the, the replacement for the beautiful people, whatever it was, but they couldn't use. Oh, okay. You still got it. the allure. Velvet is still yes. there. They've still got the love, but, you know, um, Angelina's actually a good wrestler. She was the, the brains behind the outfit. Yeah, I like Angelina. Yeah, and so, you know, they, you, she doesn't, uh, Velvet Sky doesn't work there anymore. Um, and that's kind of, and her, Angelina and Mandy kind of do their thing, but it's nowhere near as pronounced as it was back then when they were trying to do Impact Wrestling Mark II. Right. <laughs> Which is what, because, like, you know, I think Bully... 
thinks fondly of his time in impact wrestling, which I quite understand, but you don't keep going back to that well very often because yeah. it, it's not, it's not good. It's not making good wrestling, is it? So, you know, um, and it, it wasn't particularly enjoyable for everybody to watch it at the time either. But yeah. So yeah, no, I think, I, I think, I think that's the thing with AEW is I think it's just sharpened everybody else's game, whether they're involved, like impact wrestling trading talent. Though we were slightly concerned when we, we did, we covered, um, Battle for Glory and with Dara and John and me and, and DeMarcus. And we were all slightly concerned that it was too AEW heavy. Like I think Marcus said it right. The, the main event closed out with a guy from New Japan. It was the leader of the faction that the guy he's facing from AEW, who's the Impact Wrestling Champion, used to be in with tag mm-hmm. team backup who wants to be in that faction, but the boss of that faction won't let them because he thinks they're past it. <laughs> and it's like, wow. that makes no sense. Why would you do yeah, that? Yeah, that's a mess. Yeah, and they've thankfully eked all of that out because the AEW guys have gone back to being AEW guys and... Um, the New Japan guys have just been New Japan guys in Impact Wrestling, but it's Juice and Dave Finley. Now, can you hate Juice and Dave Finley? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, they're lads, are they? They're beer drinkers, and they they have a good time and they smile a lot. There you go. And also, to my knowledge, neither of them has ever been credibly accused of sexual assault. No, absolutely not. And congratulations to Juice Robinson, who announced his engagement to Tony Storm this week. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't realize they were still dating. I knew they were dating at one point because she used to post pictures of them on her Instagram. And then I think when she, either when she signed with WWE or something, she just like kind of dialed that back. Um, she, and, I guess she wasn't, wasn't in Japan as much for a start. I suppose that doesn't help. Yeah, this is that's it. probably part of it. That's probably yeah. part of it. But yeah, um, congrats to them. Yeah, I also, I also, someone, someone, I, I can't, I was it? Um, I'm trying to remember who pointed out this week. Um, Dopper, who lives in Brig, who's a famous Brig wrestling fan, who's uh, been to all sorts of shows up and down, did point out that because Tony Stone put, I changed my name, and he does listen to the show every week. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, she said she posted it as I'm changing my name, which Dopper pointed a picture of Tony Robinson, the British. Uh, comedian and children's entertain- television entertainer. <laughs> nice. Yes. But, uh, Tony Robinson. Yes. From Blackadder. Yes. Anywho, that was a joke. But anyway, anyway so <laughs> we've talked a lot about wrestling. Is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Um, well, I guess sort of, I feel like the lingering, like, conversation we all need to keep having is what are the after effects at this point of the entire speaking out movement and has anything been accomplished yes and no i think there's been some there's been some clear cases my scores we've just talked about is the obvious one he he recently me and john discussed this last week he got a job in puerto rico and for the for I think it was IWA and for the the promotion that did it suggested, well, we booked him before the pandemic and we kind of have to do it now. And it's like, well, yeah, but you could just pay him to stay home. Right. You know, I realize you've got a budget and you have to spend money and you want something for the money that you spent. But like, 
you know, and it's not going to affect really the rest of wrestling world because it's Puerto Rico, you know. And right. the long documented issues with Puerto Rico and professional wrestling, which we won't go into. But, you know, it, it's it's like no one else is hiring. No one else will touch him with a barge pole. He tried to get – he turned up at New Japan Strong and all the ring – I think it must have been the ring runner guy. I said, yeah, I'm not working with him. Um, and there was, a, there was a revolt from the wrestlers. They said, yeah, we, we can't. We're just not going to. We don't want to. And I think, no, I mean, and hopefully, hopefully, no matter how any of them feel about him personally, like, I would hope that they're all just like, fuck that guy because he, uh, you know, raped a teenage girl while she was drunk. Um, but, uh, yeah, if any of them are even the slightest bit sympathetic towards him, they all know that if they worked with him, people would be angry at them for having worked with him and would not forgive them. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's the, the biggest case where things have actually happened that are supposed to have happened. Yeah. Um, also, Joey Ryan is nowhere right now, which is nice. No, that's, that, yes. Good that he's gone. And David Starr too. They cannot get jobs yeah. anywhere. Um, so there's three people. Um, there are still some chronic offenders who are still out and about, and some of them have contracts with major companies, and noticeably only work in certain places. With Randy Orton. Yes. Yeah, um, and it is, it's a shame. It really is. And, you know, there's a bunch of other guys could impact wrestling teams to go through a period of just hiring them, hiring the most scum they could have. They have yeah. some reformed scum now, which I suppose is alright, but it's still not great. You know. Um... And it's um, it's the same. There, it's that untouchable level, isn't it? There is a there's a point where stuff doesn't stick if you're far enough away from it. And the further up you go in the wrestling business, the further away you are from all the things you did when you were younger. Yeah. And I, and I'm not saying that's right, and it's absolutely not fair. Um, specifically for uh, people who were affected that were in the business. Um, you know, that that's the bit that gets me more than anything. Those wrestlers I know who did complete training or decided against it or were already active and had their careers cut short or felt that they had to create their career short. And that's not fair because they shouldn't have to. Um, but a lot of it is a lot of it is to do with the wider attitude of. The society that we live in, especially in the UK at the moment, has been, yeah. I don't know, you've, you've, you've heard of the Everard case, I guess. Of which one? The Everard case. Did you hear about um, that? Um, no, I don't think so. It's, it's not a particularly pleasant story, but let's just say this. A police officer, a serving police officer at the time, was given a full life sentence, and by that means, like, life without parole which rarely happens in the UK and only happens to people who are a danger to society uh, for um, essentially arresting and murdering a woman um, and doing various other things, which we'll not go into, um, to that woman. And the police, that that was the the sentencing happened this week. And the police, when it was announced, all sorts of things were basically put like, you know, you should, uh, if, if you are questioned, you should, there should never be an individual police officer in plain clothes going to arrest you, which is fine, okay. But what do you do when an individual plain clothes officer comes to arrest you? <laughs> it's, like, 
it's a police officer. You are disobeying the law if you don't do what they say. Right. Sure, the, the issue is you don't hire mentally ill people who are a danger to society. That's the first thing you do. Huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe you, yeah, it's, it, it, don't stop giving us advice about women need to do this, that, and the other. Stop hiring psychopaths. It's probably a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Now I, preach. Now I, now I understand that he may not have been a psychopath when he started. And the mental health is a very tricky thing that you have to keep an eye on. So keep an eye on it. You know, that's well, also kind mental of part health, of the deal. Mental health, like this framing gets used um, in the United States too, particularly when police officers kill black teenagers or black people in general, but especially black teenagers. Mm. Um, mental health gets used as an excuse a lot. And I will just say, I have a mental illness. Um, the majority of my friends are also neurodivergent in one way, shape, or form, either because they deal with some kind of disability or a mental illness. And to my knowledge, none of us has ever killed somebody. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. So um, mental health is important, and I understand that people who have professions that expose them to violence are going to be especially susceptible to violent behavior. but also your mental illness and your post-traumatic stress disorder are not a friggin' excuse. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's just, that case came out this week, and then mm. there was so much stuff that came out around it. One, the North Yorkshire Police and Crime Commissioner came out with as a statement and said a bunch of stuff, which essentially said women should look after themselves, da 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 and then wondered why there was a massive backlash against them. It's like, no. Yeah, eat shit, dude. Police officers should stop killing women. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just get that by let's, let's just get that bit in there to start with. And it is just like, you wonder, you don't wonder why wrestling is as bad as it was. You know why wrestling is as bad as it was, because society is as bad as it is, and it should be better. And, yeah. you know, it is... Um, it becomes hard work to kind of like process the stuff that happened in wrestling because it is, and it, and it, it's the bit that annoys me more than anything is we know it was going to happen and we knew it was happening because it's always happened. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the nature of what's gone on. And, you know, I was, I was reading about, uh, well, you know, Dynamite Kids is a classic example. He's one of my wrestling heroes as a child. You know, I didn't see him mm-hmm. very often because he'd gone to Canada. He's a horrible, he was a horrible, horrible human being to his wife and to women in general. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I can separate the artist in the ring and still think he's a horrible person. But that was happening 30 years ago and it didn't seem like things have got any better. I think things have got better now. There's good parliamentary oversight. There's actually a parliamentary committee for professional wrestling. The first time anything like that has happened since after yeah. the Second World War. And I think that's good. That. Yeah. Um, and we haven't think, had that kind of response over here. Nobody cares here. Nobody knows about it. No, you, you it, but again, it is like it, the, the state athletic commissions, you have them. <laughs> they should be doing stuff, you know, instead of like occasion. I mean, I think there was, I was at Louisiana when they did the WrestleMania at the, at the New Orleans dome. 
Um, there was one local guy who had a wrestling license. So he, the promoter's license. So GCW got in contact with him. And essentially all the GCW shows were run by him that week because he was the only person who had a promoter's license. And I can remember Impact going to a place and they just completely forgot that they had a state athletic commission. When they got there, only three people on the roster had licenses for that state. So they all wrestled each other all night. (laughs) And it's like, if you've got that kind of power, you can do stuff, surely, if that makes sense. You know, you should be those places with state athletic commissions, especially strong ones like Nevada, should be able to do the right thing. But they don't because they're more concerned about making money for the athletic commission. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I also think that just like, I mean, WWE's dominance such that they control the entire narrative about professional wrestling in the United States. And that is changing, but it hasn't changed enough. Because, I mean, my friends who watch WWE more often than I currently now do. I watch WWE maybe once or twice a month. Um, and usually it's only a women's match or something New Day is doing. Something where I'm already invested. Um, mm. You know, I have two friends who've been following WWE very, very closely for three and a half years. They had no idea about any of this. They didn't know anything about speaking out because they don't use Twitter. Yeah, I think that's, that's that's the thing, and it's like that was that is perhaps Vince's true genius was convincing the New York Athletic Commission that wrestling wasn't a sport, and therefore shouldn't be administrated as a sport. It's an entertainment, which has meant the growth of the industry, but it also meant no oversight, which is pretty much the way Vince wanted the way Vince wanted it. Yeah, it's it's just I. I guess I sound really discouraged because it's hard to see how any of this is going to substantively change, at least here in the U.S., without Vince not being in charge anymore. And without somebody legally saying, hey, WWE, you have to let your wrestlers unionize. You have to have a real actual HR department that actually gives a shit about them. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? That's that's the Vince always says. That he's he's not in he's not up against other wrestling companies. He's up against the NFL and NASCAR and you know all these major promotions and stuff. But he's lying. Yeah, and it's it's like well yeah if you are but if you look back in history, uh, the NFL made Joe Namath uh, not Joe Namath um, Joe uh, the New York Jets quarterback in the 1970s. He owned a bar in New York which was frequented by um, the mafia, basically. Mm. I, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. I still picture him in my head. I'm going to look him up because I can't remember his name. But the NFL said you can't do that. That's bringing the league into disrepute. You know, it was the biggest scandal. Um, Broadway Joe. I'm sure his name is, isn't it? American football quarterback. Broadway Joe Namath. That'd be it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Joe Namath. Yeah, he, he, and he nearly quit football because of that. After a couple of months, he kind of like got his head back together again and, and went back to playing for the Jets. Mm. You know, he was the he was the biggest star in football history at that particular point. First AFL quarterback to win a Super Bowl. The Jets were the biggest team in New York. The Giants had, had surpassed the Giants in popularity. They were the hottest ticket in town on Monday Night Football. 
and here is the biggest star of the biggest team in the NFL, and the commissioner says, either you retire or you give up the club. Could you imagine yeah. Vince doing the same thing to say, well, you could actually imagine saying, Vince saying the same thing to Roman Reigns about an external business interest, but I can't imagine him being too bothered about who he frequented his time with, if that makes sense. Wait, was that, but, I mean, so was that a hint about an external business interest? Sorry? Sorry? Was there, was there an external business interest thing, or were that just an example? That was just an example. Um, okay. Yes. Yes. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just an example. It's like, it's like, yes, they have caught, like, one of the reasons why a lot of people weren't too bothered about leaving WWE was like, cause they were earning more money streaming. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I think, I think it's, um, I think it's important. But I think the, um, I think Vince doesn't care the way he should do if he feels that his company is in that company, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you, you should, you should be as accountable there. You know, there's, there's a couple of people in WWE that done the right thing. They wouldn't hire, say, Moose is a good example. They wouldn't hire him in WWE because he's too much trouble. You know, he has right. a history that is too far too powerful for them to deal with, which is the right thing to do. I'm not saying it isn't, but there's plenty of people on their roster who they shouldn't have hired in the first place. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? it is, you, you're right to the extent. It's just, it's on the smaller level, I think the companies are likely bring up one of producer. They're not a massive company, but they have a HR system that works and mm. they do due diligence on their employees. But, you know, they're the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, it feels like this is more than just an HR department. It feels like something else happened, maybe something we don't know about yet. Because they had an HR department. And just the the tone of, of everything they do has just completely changed. Like, it could mm. not be more different. It's night and day. Yeah. Mm. But, I, mean, it's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I think maybe they're just like, they've kind of given more voice to the wrestlers in Ring of Honor. And yeah. they're doing, they're doing things in a way that seems more, I mean, the audience still is why it's driven so. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Sure. Well, then like you look around the arena and yeah, this, this, there's, it, it's reasonably diverse, but it's the, the actual fan base is not as diverse as the roster is. Right. Which is, which is kind of cool in one sense, but also, you know, Hopefully that will kind of like bring people into the audience. I'm not, I'm not for the idea of like, you know, uh, this is a, a wrestling company for the minorities. Don't get me wrong, but they are being representative. That's the right way sure. of going about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they should have, they should have proper representation. It's 2021 and not 1942. Yeah, exactly. Have we covered everything we can cover? I think, I think for one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, then, thank you for listening to today's Troopany show entitled Me and Chelsea Talk About Wrestling Again, too. <laughs> um, you can find Chelsea where on the internet, Mom? Uh, I am Panels and Pros on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Cool. Uh, I am Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter and on Facebook at the Troopany Show and on Patreon where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone 
Thank you for listening to the show today. We'll be back next week, probably with that DDT review. I promised last week. Or we might do it later in the week, depending on where I've got a free night. The free nights don't happen very often around here anymore. Um, but I've got all that G1 stuff to do. But I'm sure it'll all be fine and we'll get it all fitted in one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for listening today. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye.